It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the college basketball edition, brought to you by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor, with Chad Brendel from Bearcat Journal and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. Um, let's start with UC's 62-48 win over Memphis, which uh, earned UC a nice victory that kept them undefeated in the American and Athletic Conference. You. And got me a nice 12-pack of beer coming my way because I had Memphis and the 17.5 points. Didn't need all 17.5, really. Could have won with 14.5, Rick Boring. What say you? So, a few things about that. One, when I said that, I can't believe how willing both of you were to take those points. I mean, that Memphis team is terrible. And quite honestly... UC should have won by more than 17 and a half pretty easily. I'm going to teach you something in the gambling world. You can't go to your man and go, sir, I should have won that bet. No, I, I, I'm willing to lose the bet. I have no issues. I lost it. I'm fine with that. I didn't think you would ever take that bet because I don't know why you would bet on Memphis. But that being said, I'll say this so Chad doesn't have to. There was a ref legitimately trying to cheat UC out of that game or at least shave points. The point. It was what, point. Clearly what, shaving what, points. What was his name? Um, Dwayne Dwayne Giddens Dwayne Giddens yeah the guy I called the day before and said Dwayne listen buddy look I've never said this before I think there's bad officials I think there's guys that you know when you show up that they're they're inconsistent in how they call the games there's no honestly there's no doubt about that I have never once walked away from a game thinking that somebody almost positive that this dude was shaving points Problem is by Vegas standards, actually UC covered he the lost. number. I know <laughs> Memphis missed a three at the buzzer I know. that would have won because it was a it was twelve. I think you said you saw eleven and a half. Eleven and a half. The, the twelve was, right, was the yeah. official line. I think that I saw in the morning. And yeah, it, it can always change, obviously. But <laughs> maybe he had the under. I don't know what it was. Nah, the under was safe. The under was I safe. Think it was one twenty nine. I think was the under. Whatever. So. Like he was blatantly look. Cincinnati doesn't foul. They're one of the top teams in the country. They foul 16 times a game. They had almost 30 fouls yeah, called and, on and them. That's, that's barely crawling into the bonus in both halves of and games. Every player that played significant minutes was in foul trouble. That is the first time in his entire career Jacob Evans has fouled out. Gary Clark had four. Kyle Washington had four. Jaron Cumberland had four. Kane Broom had three or four. Justin Jennifer had three. I'm going to give you my coach speak. Adjust to the officiating. They did? Skinny, you didn't see this. I game. did not. I did not. I, I have to admit, I did. I was watching. Did, it. Have you ever seen me act like this? Like it was blatant. Well, <laughs> ever, that's why. That's why I appreciate Boring stepped in for you beforehand because he corroborates. Although he did have more skin in the game than he I, normally I, has. I wanted to specifically say that so he didn't. Have I know. To I know. Because you, I know. He's you did. really not. Be, he's but not see, being a UC the, super the fan. Is, at this you point. have skin in the game in this one, though, man. Well, and I and that's unfortunate. I know. But but here's the thing. I don't really care about the twelve beers. I, I love sharing beers I with know you. you don't. I think my point still stands up that Memphis is terrible and there was no chance UC was ever going to lose that game. No, no, I'm fine with it. I said said it felt like a 61-53 comfortable victory, and it was more than that. It was much more than that. They got up huge, and all of a sudden the whistles just went. The first few minutes of the second half were one of the most absurd sequences of basketball I've ever watched. UC didn't score for like five minutes, and it honestly wasn't even really their fault. I I was at a theater performance of my my daughter in Lexington as a a freshman at UK, so I, I had to attend that. Um, Saturday evening, but but in between like performances, I my phone went buzzed, and I'm like, all right, either got a tweet or I got a thing. It was your it was your tweet that said, "Nice of Memphis to get a get it get above twenty or something." Like that. they had oh no, no the initial one points right half. no the initial one I thought oh gosh they're down twenty at the half ooh this is ugly so then I saw the score and went well, that's not so bad so then about another fifteen minutes went along and they have like in between acts they kind of give you a couple seconds I look at my phone and went thirty six twenty eight. Thirty six twenty nine. Holy cow! Then at the end, I, I I finally got the chance to look at it towards the end. I'm like, oh no, they're going to make some free throws down the stretch, and Memphis is going to do something really, really stupid. But no, I, seventeen and a half on the road in in just about any league. It should have been is, is a big number. I'm, I agree, but it's just a big number, and part of it is honestly is the officiating does play a part. Let's face it, home teams win the majority of games in college basketball because right or wrong, if, if officials are influenced, they're, it's human nature. They are influenced, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, like I said, like you can think a guy had a bad game. 
Right. The guy is inconsistent calling this. And, and you're right. My general response to that is you've got to adjust to the how the guy is calling the game. But if they're only calling it one way and you can't get away with anything right. and they get away with everything, there's not a whole lot you can do. And Rick's right. They, they went scoreless for five minutes at the start of the second half. Completely wasn't their fault. And I'll be the first one to step up and say, hey, they're not running good offense. I didn't feel that way. Like, I'm watching the game. I'm like, what is going on right now? This is absurd. I was legitimately laughing. And that said, it's still a nice, comfortable victory on the road in your league, right? They still could have won by 20 points easily. I believe believe that. I believe that. It was was really frustrating to watch because you're, like, legitimately, like, is this dude seriously, in front of my face, shaving points? Because I've never felt that before. I've never felt that before. And I legitimately felt it. I felt that way in a couple of college football games I've watched. So, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. All I know is, was it, it's Dwayne, right? Yeah. Dwayne. Dwayne, thanks, yeah. Dwayne. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate the help. I, I still feel good about it. I feel like my point stands from last week. I feel like I was vindicated. All right. That's, that's good enough. All right, what did you take away, though, from, from the win itself, other than, than, again, another solid defensive performance? Um, what, what about what they got off the bench? Really, really good to see Trevor Moore bang yeah. a couple threes. Um, they need him. He has solidified himself as the number three wing. Like he is, he has moved significantly ahead of Keith Williams at this point in their careers. He is out there quite a bit. He has done a fantastic job defensively. I can't give for a freshman. I can't give him enough credit for how well he has done defensively. If he can add to that, banging two threes a game, three threes a game. That gives them a significant lift off the bench that they had not gotten so far this year. It's kind of an interesting position with both UC and Xavier's freshmen because I think if either one of these freshman classes were on different UC or Xavier teams, people would be really, really excited about them because they'd be relied upon and they would have been forced into making more mistakes and they would have gotten some of those mistakes out of their system and they would have learned faster and they'd be showing even more. But instead, you had two veteran teams that were supposed to be really good. That got really good recruiting classes. That didn't have time to be fooling around with freshmen who weren't ready. Yeah. So it's like, you get what you get, and you'll have to learn in the few opportunities that you have. And if you screw up, you're coming out because we have better guys who won't make those mistakes. And so it's been kind of interesting to see both classes develop because I think fans are going to look you know, next year and all of a sudden be like, oh, wow. Yeah, that that guy was pretty good. He's a little behind where I'd like him to be, but he's really talented now that he's having to play twenty five minutes a game. Right. Um, I think it was really good, and and Eliel Sosame, <laughs> that kid's gonna be a monster, man. He has a higher rebounding rate than Gary, at like in terms of rebounds per minute. He comes in and just yeah, Gary slacked off. He was one off of another double double. Yeah, he <laughs> missed his fifth consecutive double double by one rebound. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's good to see those guys get a little bit of, of, of time and get a little bit more comfortable out there. And, and like I said, especially Trevor confidently. And, and the, the second one he hit was big because Memphis had cut it to four. And it looked like, uh-oh. Yeah. You're stuck offensively. You're stuck with what's going on. Yeah. You got, everybody's on the bench with foul yep. trouble. Yep. And then, bang, he hits a three to put him back up seven. And then Evans hits two more the next two possessions after that, and all of a sudden it's back at 13. So it and, never, for, and for Memphis, that's insurmountable, man, at that stage. It got to four, but because of that shot from Trevor Moore, it never got uncomfortable. It never really got, oh, boy, you know, here they come. Now it's two, now it's one. Um, so that was a huge shot for him. One thing I know about Trevor, and I've gotten to know Trevor really well from, from meeting him on the recruiting trail, that kid has zero lack of conf. Like he is one of the most confident kids I've ever met in my life. And this is a kid that his other offers were like uh, uh, UT San Antonio and yeah, nothing like major. Swag no, no, yeah, nothing major, right? But he believes in himself, and he banged in two big shots for him. Um, so next up for UC is, is Houston on Wednesday night, yeah. and they face them what twice in about a five game span. Yeah. This is it. Start. This is when it cranks up. Yeah. In fact, the, the schedule uh, is Houston, then at UConn. You think of it what you are, but it's still it's on the road. UConn's been tough at home. Yeah. UCF, then at SMU, at Houston, Wichita. So they, they are. This this starts kind of a big stretch of games. It's for a UC. big six game stretch for them. I mean, obviously UCF is a little bit different animal. Playing them at home, not having Taco Fall, but BJ Taylor is back. That gives them a little bit more offense, and we'll find out. I mean, Houston offensively, they've got a guy in Rob Gray that can get buckets. So they're in a position they can compete for this conference championship. 
Correct. But that's what I'm saying. A team that's, that's but it has to play, that's going to play, you know, with a sense of urgency. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, they went to Wichita and got smoked at Wichita. Um, we'll see how they do on the road here. Uh, the the unfriendly confines of BB&T Arena have not been kind to opponents nope. this season. But it, it's going to be interesting. If you look at the, the raw numbers, Cincinnati is, is doing something that's never been done in the Ken Palm era in terms of um, defensive efficiency. And then adjusted defensive efficiency, Virginia moves ahead of them. But Cincinnati is still the number two adjusted efficiency defense since the start of the Ken Palm era in 2002. And I would tell you, we're, uh, who, who is the, – they're, they're, they're way ahead I would say it's light years, I was going to say. Yeah, it's it's about a Virginia's it's about a got five, by three, five and they've got Texas Tech by correct. five or six. Yeah, correct. So that, I mean, that's that's a big gap. It's two historic defenses, and you saw that yesterday. Virginia, what they did against Duke, yeah, was we're going to touch on that here, impressive. here in just a second. But Cincinnati's just choking people out. Yeah, no question about it. So you see, stays undefeated in the league, two game lead over both Houston and Wichita. Um, you see it eight zero Wichita and Houston sitting both at a six and two. Um, Let's touch on that Duke Virginia game because it's something we touched on Friday. The whole it was a great question that was asked: What would you rather have in the tournament, elite offense or elite defense? We saw elite offense go against elite defense, and elite defense won out on Saturday with with Virginia beating Duke. I don't think that that says anything other than on that particular day, Virginia was was better than Duke. Um, but it does show in the regular season that that's the stuff that can happen. I just don't know if that happens over a six game. We're not telling you, you can do that for one game in a tournament, too. You could do that in, in the Sweet 16, but can you do that and win that way all the way through to win a national championship? Yeah, and I mean, it's not fair. Like, if we're holding every team to the standard of, you, is are you good enough to win a national championship with that defense? Like, that would be unfair, too. So I don't think that's a fair way to look at it necessarily either. But the whole defense, elite defense versus elite offense conversation. We were never saying elite defense doesn't mean anything. Or no, it means you're yeah. not a good team. Or I think it's a great way to build a really to consistent it. program. And you have to have both offense and defense to be a true Final sure. Four type contender. Sure, it's it's not like teams have gone into the Final Four with the number one offense and the number one thirty six defense and one and one right. And and I don't like that. I don't think we're talking about UC and Xavier's Final Four teams for that reason. Like Xavier's offense isn't. Top twenty in, defense, in top twenty five De- defense, defense yeah. rather, and UC's offense isn't the same way. So they both have their deficiencies. We know what they are. They're both good, and this year seems a little more wide open. So there's reason for optimism and upside. But I think we both agree that there are second weekend teams that anything could happen once From you that get point there. Forward, yes, but we don't either. Neither of us are thinking. This, se- final four this season, UC and Xavier need to be in the final four. Right, I, and, and and my take has always been. You can tr- kind of control your destiny to the second weekend of the tournament, yes. and then, like you said, legitimately anything can happen you from can, that point on. And if you're, you if could be you, a two seed playing a three, or you could be a two seed playing a, a nine, a nine, right, or fourteen, yeah. or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, or guys break yeah. their ankles, yeah, right. or what? All types of d- just crazy stuff happens in the tournament, and it's like once you get to that second weekend, if you get there enough, things happen. Yeah, like right. you, you get breaks eventually. So I think that's the key is getting to that second weekend. And I think both of these teams can do that. I'm not expecting them to be Final Four teams, no. but it's not out of the realm of possibility, I don't think. They're elite enough on one side of the ball that anything could happen. But like if Xavier is sitting here at number nine on offense and number 18 on defense, I'd be a lot more likely to be like, that's a Final this Four could team. be the year that yeah. they really make their run. Right. Sitting at nine and then 50, that's a second weekend team. That if things everything kind of you could tilts still get to way, a final four, you could get there. But it's you're not going into that Sweet 16 thinking this team's got two formalities before they get to the final four, right? So it's probably going to be one coin flip and one as an underdog in that situation. If you're UC or Xavier, right, where the Sweet 16 game is a coin flip, and then you're probably an underdog in the Elite Eight to get to the final four. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't. I don't think either team forces its way into a one seed, for goodness sake. So you're no. probably a two. So that means there's a very good possibility you're playing a one seed in the Elite Eight. So right. there you go. On that Duke and Virginia game specifically, though, I will say what I saw in that game was a Virginia team that was up by double digits in the second half could have easily put the game away, but and because couldn't. of their style, right. let Duke climb right back into it before the under seven or before the under eight timeout. So it was like you you can't give up a lead like that against a team like Duke. 
in in two minute two four minute wars like that's not acceptable if you're like a legit contender so i saw major issues with the style that virginia plays and the reason i don't like them in the tournament because they had duke dead to rights duke was done they had pretty much folded early in the second half and then virginia slows it down plays basically not to lose which is what that style is essentially yeah, that's what it is. and and just doesn't score for eight minutes you know there's a pretty significant difference too between like how Virginia does it and how Cincinnati is doing it this year. I think they were similar in years past, but Virginia's last in pace on offense. Everybody says that their numbers are so slow because they grind you out for 30 seconds defensively. They are last on offense too in time of possession. So their entire thing is shortening the game, shortening the game. But when you play Duke, if when Marvin, Marvin Bagley gets hot and puts up, 12 points in eight minutes. That's 12 points that Virginia's scrambling to cover because they only scored four in that stretch. It's the same philosophy of, of why you can't play last year's UCLA team with Lonzo Ball in a low-possession game because guess what? If he goes nuts for eight possessions, those four. eight possessions mean way too much. Yeah, it, was, four. it was four. It was four. <laughs> and it happened, but, but in, right. four. It but, happened but, in 90 but, seconds. But, but that's what that's how fast it happened. If you're, if you're that good of a team, like everyone says Virginia might be the best team in the country or their second best behind Villanova. If you're that good of a team, you shouldn't want to play low possession games against teams you're better than. That's my that's my feeling. I could you're be wrong on that. Yeah, but you're you're, you're giving, giving those teams a chance. A chance. Yeah. Like it's why the shot clock was invented. So worse teams couldn't stay in the game with better teams by just slowing the game down. Um, when the rankings come out this week, obviously UC and Xavier will still be in the top 10. question is how high do they go? Villanova won again, um, albeit a, a tough one at Marquette. Villanova, Virginia, and, and Purdue, Purdue all, all won. won. Duke lost. Kansas lost. Not Saturday, but they lost to Oklahoma during, during the week. Michigan State did win. Had to grind one out at Maryland. West Virginia, and this will segue in a minute into, into, into Kentucky, lost. So, I mean, the possibility of Xavier getting up to five behind Michigan State at four. Kansas maybe or Duke maybe six. I tend to UC think Duke seven. Will be, I tend to think Duke will be five. Xavier will be six, and then UC Kansas seven, seven, and, UC eight. Yeah, I could, okay. I can see right. that, or or maybe or they bump UC, UC over Kansas, Kansas eight. But yeah. I don't think Kansas is going to take a big hit for losing at Oklahoma. No, I don't. Yeah, and, I, I don't. I don't either. And but, I don't think Duke is going to take a. I mean, they no, lost. you lost to the number two team in the country by yeah. a bucket. It was even, at even, Cameron. It was, yeah, even though it's at home. But I mean, West Virginia for sure is is below both. Correct. So they're both going to move at the up very least. least yeah, at spot. the very least, Xavier seven, UC's eight. At the very least, I could see UC sticking at eight, and Xavier maybe moving up to six and having having Kansas in between. Um, I, I can't imagine a scenario where Duke drops below either of them, Rick. I mean, I could see it, I guess, but I'd I mean, not it all, again, it's all dependent on the voters. But the yeah. voters like Duke, and they're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And it wasn't like they. Got blown out at home, and it is again a team that was ranked ahead of them, even though they were they were a three and a half point favorite in the game. So technically, I guess by some they standards, got home it's an court upset advantage. Yeah, yeah, it was a pick 'em game. They got the three points for home court advantage. Exactly right. Um, but still, UC and Xavier both uh, both should move up again. So very cool. Still in the top ten. Good thing. I, I did get a question, and this was for Xavier, but I think it's worth asking about both teams right now. If the season ended right now, what seed would both teams be? Um, UC I, probably I think, a three. I think Xavier's played its way into a two, and I think and I think UC's a three or a four. Uh, maybe a, maybe a late three or a high the, four. The thing that would help UC, and I know it's not flashy because people will point. There's not a whole lot of tournament teams on their resume, but they're nine and two against the quadrant one and quadrant two. Yeah, and and, and you know and there's if, not a whole lot of people that and the two don't have a single bad loss. Yeah, and the two losses would be to a team I just said would be a number two one. seed. Yeah, and to a and, Florida team that. Probably what a four or five right now, yeah. five or six ish, whatever. And, and road road and neutral. Yeah, right. So I would think three for UC. I would think two for Xavier if we're going right at the moment. I think Xavier's resume is probably a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean Xavier's closer to a one right now than they are a three. Yeah, oh no doubt. They're they're, yeah. the, they're the one or two two seed basically. Yeah. I think if you if you were to end it right now, now that that can change obviously. Why do you think UC? Because I'm I'm looking at bracket matrix right now, which is in this four right aggregate and takes all the different bracketalities. Why do you think UC is a four and five in so many brackets right now? Because I don't think a lot of people, and it'll be interesting because we could be wrong, but I don't think a lot of people are are fully invested in the pod system yet. And and maybe the committee isn't. Like maybe we we get there, but the NCAA has said this is what we're gonna use on the team sheet. 
and you I have think to, I think when you have that team sheet in front of you, it's different than like no it, one's going it, to calculate it yes, all by themselves, especially yes. now when it's way more complicated to do so. Yeah, and, and I think it's fairly easy to look and say, you know, unfortunately UCLA is not what they were supposed to be. So winning in Westwood doesn't give you the bump. Like if UCLA was was top twenty, top fifteen, everybody would look at that and say, damn. That's a signature win. That's yes. a marquee win to go into Pauley Pavilion and beat a good UCLA team and thump them at that. Mississippi State has fallen apart. They didn't get either of those two opportunities um, against Florida and Xavier. Uh, nobody is looking at, at Buffalo and saying that's a top 25 RPI win, even though it is. Um, so I think that's probably why the bracket matrix is a little bit behind, um, where I think if the committee does what they say they're going to do this year – where the committee would have Cincinnati. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, if you look at bracket matrix, they are where I just said a minute ago, I said four, I'd have them as a, as, a, as a three, uh, one of the last threes and one of the higher fours. I think they're the second four. They're right the second now. four, yeah. yeah. I, and I think I would have them as a three if I were if, if I had to do the bracket right now. But I think that's what their resume says. Yeah, and and I guess the, the, the key is, you know, the, the American hurts them clearly when in terms of perception, so they have to avoid – any slip ups the rest of the way because of that. Even like losing to Houston at home. Go, go. I'll give you if you went on the road and lost. Yeah, I think I think they do just because I think it's more about they have to have such a pristine looking yes. record and resume that, that literally lose your lose one game in the league to Wichita and you can survive that. I think you could lose two and it's not going to. If you're sixteen and two but, in the league. And to get to a three, we're talking about getting to a three mile. I'm not talking about might be stuck knocking, him, knocking him down to a six, for goodness sakes. No, you might be stuck at a four there. Yeah, and I, I just think because they don't get enough credit for the SMUs and the Houstons of the world. It's exactly like Xavier in the A-10. It doesn't matter what those teams' RPIs were. No one's watching them. So you're not getting the credit for those games, the credit that you should, I think, and in a lot of ways. And that's where Memphis and UConn are killing this conference. Without question. No doubt. That's where. <laughs> no doubt. Because if, if Memphis is relevant... And you play them at six o'clock on a Saturday. And people notice. A lot of people are watching. Yeah, nobody noticed that game yesterday and an official blatantly cheating and losing. <laughs> which all right, is I, the I, best part. I got twelve cold beers coming my way at some point. What you get? Um, I don't know yet. I'll have to think of that. I, I, you told me Heineken. I, I, I said I said a six of Heineken, six of Bud Light, and you're pushing the Heineken on me, and I'm not going to say no to it. So I mean, I'll get you whatever you like. I know. I appreciate that very much. Thursday morning or Wednesday morning? Uh, uh, Thursday. Both play Wednesday. Yeah, right? so Thursday. It'll be Xavier a Thursday. Xavier plays Tuesday, so. Right. plays Wednesday. It'll be a Thursday. Thursday yeah, Thursday podcast. We'll get Thursday next. morning. All right, I appreciate that. You're a heck of a man. All right, let's touch on Kentucky, where at halftime it looked like they were heading for uh, a brutal loss, yeah. um, only to make it turn out to be a, a very – their signature win of this season at this point. Kevin Knox was out of his freaking mind, and, and um, Kentucky gets a very nice, nice win out of that. I'm gonna let Rick, wait, go ahead, you go first. I was just gonna say, I'm, I'm gonna I, give him. I, credit. I know. I was gonna say, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna give him credit. Coach Kyle listened to this podcast at halftime, and they attacked. <laughs> they did attack, and they played straight to the rim. And if they missed, they offensive rebound. They got it. it felt like they, they got. It felt like stretches. They got every single offensive rebound that they, they could did get. Everything Mr. Rick Broering said is in the blueprint to beat West Virginia in that second half. Made him a half court team. Made him a half court team. That Rick with the scouting report. And they tried to do scouser. it the first half. They just couldn't stop turning the ball yeah. over. I mean, they, it's, it's what you have to do. You can't say, oh, we turned the ball over in the first half, so now we've got to be more conservative. It's like, no, keep doing what you're doing. Just quit turning the damn ball over. Like, take care of it. And it, and, and I would say it is for when West Virginia has to get in the half court. They're brutal. They get what? nothing other than James Bolden. God love him. The Holmes product. He jumped up, made a couple threes. And Carter, because he's such a good offensive player. They get nothing Here, here's other the, than that. Here's the difference between West Virginia and Cincinnati and why Cincinnati is a better team and has a chance to do more damage in the tournament because West Virginia in the half court and when they're in offense period legitimately can't shoot. They can't score. Like they have a couple tough guys that'll make big time shots and big moments. I get that. Yeah, Carter's Javon, one. Javon Carter's yeah. really impressive at times. But their three point shooting percentage and their two point shooting percentage and their effective field goal percentage are all like in the mid 200s, like 250 something. Like it's terrible. You see, though they may slow it down at times, though they may bog down on the road at times. They have guys that can score the ball. They have guys that can make shots. They don't rely on a gimmick like getting turnovers and relying on the other team sucking. Their defense is in the half court, lock down, smother you, and get stops. West Virginia is more or less a gimmick to me. They're yeah. a really good gimmick. Sure. And it's a great system to win a bunch of games during the regular season. And depending season. on the opponent, it can be a disaster for that opponent. But when you play good teams consistently, which you do in the tournament, it's not going to work. It just won't. What you do in the Big 12, which is... When you add Kentucky, now they've lost three out of four, 
including yeah, good point. three big comebacks where they had teams down. They had, they had Kansas buried. They had Kentucky buried. They had TCU buried. TCU buried, right. So, and, and two of those, I believe, were at home. Uh, Kansas was. Kansas was at home. Kansas and Kentucky, Kentucky was yeah. at home. So, here's the thing. Like, this is a huge win for Kentucky, without question. Agreed. I think it, it, it boosts confidence. I just don't know how much you can take from it because it doesn't translate to any other team because nobody plays like no, that. No, but I think the one thing it does is maybe it, it shows there's mental toughness there. That You know there, what? That is, you, you got down 15 at the half, and they, yeah. what, they banged a three or got a bucket on the first position. So it went from it was 19 or 20 at one point on the road. Things aren't going well. 17 was the highest it got. And it wasn't like – here's the other part. There wasn't like there's some – junior senior leader that you can go he's going to pull us out no, kevin knox pulled them out. out of it and the fact no. that they went and attacked the offensive glass and then did what they should do in the half court got stops that pulled them out of it, it was i thought it was a really mature yeah second half performance now again if kevin knox doesn't make some shots then okay but it doesn't matter he did he made them period end of story when he didn't they chased him down and put him back in and you asked on the last podcast, who is their killer? I don't know that I'm ready to call Kevin Knox that yet. But that was a but, step. That was a he step. showed he can be. Yeah. That was a he step. showed he can be a and, guy that carries you. And we've always thought he can be, but I, I'm a show-me guy. And he hadn't shown us yet. And that's fair, but th- this is my point. Like Seeing upside in things is more than just being like, well, they haven't done it yet. I'm like, yeah, I know that. They're freshmen. That was my point. Like, And this doesn't mean they're good all of a sudden now. They still have a ways to Correct, go. Yeah. As you mentioned, this game doesn't necessarily translate over to things they're going to need to do in the next game. So they still have a long way to go, but you're seeing the, – the biggest thing to me, it's like, well, what translates here? Just figuring out how to win a close game late. Yes, like, on the just, road in a – Crazy Whereas opposed to, they, opposed to the South Carolina game where they crumbled. Th- they crumbled, and then it's still a game. I mean, they blew a lead, but even when you blow a lead, you're still in a game, and they couldn't find a way to pull that game out. This one they did. Yeah, and, and to me that was the most impressive part is it just like looked like, hey, they're confident enough and competent enough in a late-game situation, in a close game against a good team who was putting all types of pressure on you to come away with a win. And the one thing that's just got to be so frustrating for UK fans is to see them dominate a team on the offensive glass like that and not be a good defensive rebounding right. team. That's got to be annoying. I think it's just because he got so many guys jumping, blocking shots. They just get out of position. That I really, is, I, really, I, I mean, I mean it, that's it, his style. Yeah. He's always been go for the block and don't box out. Just yeah, go, just go, go get grab the ball. And I will say, the craziest stat from the game Saturday, by far, Jared Vanderbilt played 11 minutes and grabbed 11 rebounds. That's for insane. three points. I know, but 11 rebounds. 11? I thought he played nine minutes and grabbed 11 rebounds. I thought it was 11, 11. Maybe, Maybe you're it right. was, but Wait, either, whatever, either way, he was that's a difference him. maker. I know, but that's, that's insane. His energy, his ability to rebound, and his passing are what make him a five-star recruit. He's not a scorer. He's not a guy that's going to go off for 34 like Knox did. Like We've known Knox is a scorer all along. Vanderbilt... He's going to improve as a scorer as he gets more comfortable, but he's never going to be like your go-to scorer. No, I, but he is going to attack, and he's going to play like his hair is on fire. And as he learns to harness that, it's it's a valuable bullet to have in the holster. And I thought, I mean, the second half, I, I thought their ball movement was about as good as it's been all year long. I mean, attacking into gaps, finding guys coming down the base. It's almost like West Virginia didn't realize there were other guys maybe on the floor behind them. How many times do you see a guy drive in the lane and suddenly somebody slips along the baseline for an easy, yeah, dunk or a layup? You, you like that? Vanderbilt's now a valuable bullet in the holster. Last week, he was a guy who's not going to make a difference. He's the same guy they have five of. Well, he is, but he is. But it's 11 rebounds but, in nine minutes or 11 minutes. No, or 10 and minutes. what did I say? Rebounder, passer. And I was talking in terms of they need scoring. But my, but my point is a difference maker can still make guys better. He's a great defender, a great rebounder. He handles the ball better than most of their guards. Because they have like, some they have ball stoppers, and he's not a ball stopper. And, yeah, and, and, he's not see, looking to score. I disagree with that. I think their offense moves the ball really, really mm. well in the half court. I do. I, that's my favorite part about this UK team is they are very unselfish. Oh, I, don't, I, I think there's an unsell, I, but I think it, it gets to a point where a guy takes it, thinks he can go one-on-one, doesn't, has to give it. I'm talking about well, that ball about, movement last night I thought was really good. Well, they're they playing were coming a lot downhill. more dribble drive this Yeah, they were coming so downhill a little more. it is a little more one-on-one yeah. than you've seen in past years. So. I, I just thought last night for them in that second half, that's, a, that's the I mean, best Kyle I've seen. I complained about it in the first half, yeah. the ball movement. Yeah. Well, the, the ball movement in the first half was terrible because they kept turning they, the ball over before they could get The ball was being moved to West Virginia. That's why. Yeah, um... But the difference this year is you don't have like Jamal Murray or Malik Monk or guys that you're running pin down screens point, for yeah. and run them off screen. That's a good call. To where you're seeing those sets and stuff like That's that. Fair. It's a lot more Create. drive one on one, kick it out, and the next guy does the same thing. And then hopefully you either get to the rim, get it off the glass, get an offensive rebound, or you get knocks on a kick out three. Yeah. And that fits Vanderbilt really well. Yeah. 
I because mean, he it, can be there for rebounds. And, so. and he can drive off the bounce. He can handle the ball as a 6'9 guy, and he's going to have other taller players guarding him. He's he's going to be a difference maker, but he also has no idea what he's doing right now. Like yeah. He could only play Just, 10 minutes in that game. But at least he, he can rebound it. That, that part he can do for sure. All right, that, that segues what Kentucky did at West Virginia, segues into the, the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Um, does the SEC get a nice bump off of that? Does the Big 12 get a little, hmm, not so sure? That yes. Then they start cannibalizing, <laughs> kind of like what we talked about on Friday. I mean, it wasn't complete SEC domination, but some of the key games went the SEC's way. And that's kind of what we were talking about was that's what the SEC needed to do. I think I don't think it hurts the Big 12 at all in perception, but I do think this was significant for the SEC to say, oh, okay, some of those teams at the top of the SEC are legit. You know, they, they, they can legitimately play with the top teams in the country, so maybe the SEC is a, a fairly deep league this year because the teams at the tops are good. Auburn didn't play in it. Correct. And there was one other team that's... Uh, Vandy didn't play in it, I don't believe. They stink. Yeah, I know. But, oh, you're talking about just out of the key group of teams? Yeah. Because Vandy... Uh, yeah, Tennessee Van- play? Uh, yeah, Tennessee smoked Iowa State. Uh, correct. Florida played in it, beat Baylor. Kentucky played in it. Auburn's number one in the league. I'm just going yeah. straight straight in that scene. So, Auburn did not. Florida did. Kentucky did. Tennessee did. Bama got a nice win over Oklahoma. Yep. We'll beat it at home. Yep. Arkansas did. Uh, held, held off Oklahoma State. South Carolina did. Um, drawn a blank. They, they, they played. choked late. Yeah, to Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Thank you very much. Ole Miss did or didn't. I don't remember. And then a couple others did that really don't matter. So the upper echelon of it did actually pretty well, really. Yeah, I think that's the important part for the SEC is it was the top of the league. You didn't see seven beating seven and, yeah. and nine beating yeah. ten, and a couple of them being on the road as well. Yeah, so it was. I thought it was a positive showing for the SEC. I don't think it hurts. The Big Twelve much, but it's certainly. It's I think what it hurts though is this: is, is when I, I, there, there's three teams I don't think make the tournament from the league: Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma State. I think none, none of the three make the tournament. Although I'll tell you, I mean, Baylor might have just sealed their fate this weekend yes. with another loss. Yes, that yeah. they That's might my point. finally be done. So then the the, the the Kansas Tech, Kansas State, West Virginia, Oklahoma, TCU, unless they falter significantly or are in. The other one is is Texas. What does this do for Texas when it? Maybe let's just say it's fourteen and seven overall right now, four and four in the league. Let's just say they they split five hundred the rest of the way. That I just don't know if that's enough. Get them to nineteen. Uh, it it could, it'll put them in a conversation. They but, would be on the remember, bubble. The, they would be on the bubble. Kind of kind of the joking manner before the the conference play starts. The Big Twelve is going to get nine teams in, and and they're just not anymore. It's just not. I mean, this weekend kind of sealed that fate. Yeah, I think so. I think. But, I mean, the problem is you start looking around the country at the other conferences You're right. and everyone keeps losing. It's like, what if Baylor wins two big road games here in the Big 12? I, I haven't looked at the rest of their schedule, but uh, I'm sure, d- I'm I'm sure, sure there will be. I'm sure there will be. games yes. at least on the road left. If they win two more big road games, they're going to be right back Here's on the bubble. Here's what we know. The Big Ten's not getting a bunch. Right. The Pac-12 is not getting a bunch. Right. The A-10 is only getting one. They stink. Yeah, it's awful. The American, probably three. AC, ACC is going to get a chunk. The out. ACC and the SEC and the Big Ten or Big, Big 12, Twelve are going to get large chunks. But you still, Brian Snow always says it, got to get to 68 somehow. Yeah. 68 is the number. You got to get there. They're not going to go, well, there's only 65 right, good I enough know. this You're year. Right. You're right. So, I mean, I don't know really where I was going with that. I got lost in the argument there somewhere that, that the Baylors of the world in your opinion are still well, like Texas yeah Texas is going to be on the bubble if they go 500 in the Big 12 yes because somebody's got to get in that's I mean, unfortunate I mean right now they're like with bracket matrix there's seven Big East teams in the tournament right now like not even first that, four out or anything like all, Pro- all Pro- seven Providence in. is including that group yeah Providence and Marquette yeah um that's pretty good that's a pretty good number that's a pretty that's a pretty big number. But, well, but you're probably going to get seven from the Big East, seven from the Big Twelve. Yeah, it's going to ha- there's Those going to be two, seven teams team in the Big East. Yeah, like, I don't think there's a, oh, there's almost no way around it because the Marquette Marquette could fall. That's the one that could falter. They could, but everyone's so closely bunched that as long as they don't just hit a yeah, losing, as long as you streak, don't hit a five game six right. game losing streak, you go pretty much five hundred. You're going to be right on the bubble still, pretty much. Um, we'll touch on Xavier in a moment. They didn't play this weekend, obviously. I, I'll be play. the first to say it. Bubble's bad. It's every year. Every year that the bubble's, the bubble, so, the bad. bubble's so bad this the bubble's year. Bubble's so bad. I'll just be the first. Do it before February hits. Yeah, this this the skinny podcast. This is the, the official first podcast in the country. Line of demarcation. To state before the start of February. The bubble's just so bad this year. You, you want to know how bad the bubble is right now? Here's here's your first oh, four. Oh, I already looked at it, but I'll let you do it. Boise State, 
Western Kentucky, Washington, Georgia. Next four out, your guys' team. South Carolina. South I Carolina. Saw it. I saw it. Maryland, Baylor, Virginia Tech. Wow. Well, say it again one more time. The Just bubble's so bad. Thank you very God, much. God, the bubble's bad. All right, I apologize for this. I did it on Friday. It's on me. Why'd you have to do I, I it? I don't know why. What a jerk. I, I, I'm sorry, NKU. I'm sorry, Norse Nation. That was on me. NKU uh, falling to uh, to Oakland uh, did come back. Obviously, on the day we're doing this podcast Sunday night, they did come back to, to overwhelm a really bad Detroit, and they're beat up. I think they, well, they what got happened seven with guys. Oakland, Wright State. Oakland lost to Wright State. So Wright State is nine and one in the league. NKU eight and two. I can't figure out this Oakland team. I can't either. They got absolutely I re- smoked I th- by Wright. State. I thought Friday for them was like that turning point of they showed that they're still probably the best. What we team found in the is league. Yep. they they and maybe that's the problem. No, they got fired up to get revenge, and they came in. But they they had the same thing on their plate with Wright State, though, right? You would think uh, they're just they're dysfunctional, man. They're they're not locked in. They're not. Tighten it like Kendrick Nunn was unbelievable against NKU, and there was nothing they could do about no. it because he's a he pro. Hit, I would say he hit some really, really tough shots. But but like it seems like that's what they rely on is him or, or one of their other big three getting hot and just carrying them on given nights. And it's like they've got a. I, mean, I love Greg Campy, but this team is not very cohesive. No, no. agreed. Um, what were your takeaways from NKU on that night? Frustrating. I mean, they were just too sloppy, and Kendrick Nunn was so good yeah. that I don't know that it really. Especially mattered. in the second half, whenever anytime NKU got semi close, he went down and stuck. It felt like three threes on one trip. Yeah, and um, I think it was really cool to see that atmosphere, though. Like the whole lower bowl was sold out. A good chunk of the upper sideline on the one side was sold out. It was it was a fun atmosphere. It just stunk that they weren't in the game for most of it. VIP suite. I know. I I, I was told that. Shout, shout out to our people at NKU. Yes, indeed. Taking care of you, boy. Took, took care of you. Did, you. did you behave yourself? I was fine. I wasn't happy, I, see, but I was well, fine. See, that's such a semantic answer right there. I was fine. Fine is really relative, Rick. Did you behave yourself? I was, yes. Okay, I was thank fine. You. Thank yes, you. Yes, I was <laughs> fine. Thank you. The best you can ask for out of me is fine. Okay, Let's that's be honest. fair. Fair enough. That's my best fear. Let me just say this. Security didn't take you like by the back of your scruff of your neck and... and, no. and run you out no i wasn't i really wasn't worked up it wasn't i mean i saw kendrick nunn hit his first five shots and i was like oh okay well it's I, gonna be one of those yeah, nights yeah i was like oh it's cool to come here <laughs> it's cool to see the atmosphere but uh drew mcdonald i know the stats say 19 and 10 he didn't look right to me like it's a poor, tough matchup it's a tough matchup but missing free throws and that's we taking Threes that really didn't fit in the Yeah, he took rhythm. one really bad one. It just it, it seemed like, yeah, he's their horse and, and try to ride him, but it, he just seemed off. He didn't seem yeah, fully the, engaged. I don't the, know The what missing it was. free throws is the telltale sign because yeah. he's not missing the front end of one-on-ones very often. Bad. Yeah. Like, he wasn't close on three of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it didn't feel like anything was really going their way. And now, LeVon Holland... Tendinitis? Yeah, I think that was more they were smoking Detroit Mercy and knew they were going to smoke him. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's not great if he is really dealing with serious tendonitis, but I tend to think it was more an opportunity to get him some. Well, rest. and let's face it, you played a 9 o'clock tip-off Friday night, high-level energy, having to bring it for how many ever minutes into a, what was the tip-off time, 1 o'clock Sunday. I mean, you had very little turnaround time there, too. And, yeah, and then you're smoking Detroit, and, and it, you know, at that point, that, that's that, that smart period end of story. Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, I guess you're. I mean, it, it's worth bringing up. We'll see if in, in the next thing, real real quick, because Wright State's now nine and one, NKU's eight and two, UIC six and three, Oakland six and four. Better that Wright State beat Oakland just to kind of shove them to the side. I think and, so. I, well, here's the thing. Or would you rather what, sit there and go, it's it's evened up with how many ever games to go? I think if you're NKU, I still think Oakland's your worst matchup. I mean, we we saw that at home. I don't think Wright State can beat NKU the way Oakland can do, where they just outclass them like we saw on Friday night. So to me, NKU really wants that one seed so they don't get stuck on the same side of the bracket as Oakland. With that two seed, they're probably going to be on the same side of the bracket as Oakland. If Oakland's the two seed, then NKU's the three, so it really doesn't matter there. I guess my question to you guys would be, what would you rather have? Be on the same side of this bracket as Wright State, where you pretty much know Wright State's going to make it because they're consistent, they play the same way. You're almost guaranteed you'll face Wright State. Or Oakland where they're probably better than Wright State in a worse matchup for NKU, 
But there's the chance, hell, they might lose before they even get to NKU. Yeah, I think he has the double bye. Because remember last year, that's the bracket, the whole thing fell apart and benefited NKU. And plus, obviously, they played very well to win the championship. I, I'd rather be op- opposite Oakland as long as I can be opposite Oakland. I would too, and that's why you wish they could get the one seed. They're going to have to obviously win at, at Wright, Wright State, State, and then they're going to need Wright State to slip up again for that to happen. Well, I mean, now. they'd be tied if they win at Wright and I, State. Yeah, and I have no idea what the tiebreaker would I be. I think it's record against the third place team, which is Oakland. So, well, right now it's UIC. It probably won't be UIC. UIC six oh, and three true. in the league, but I, I maybe they do. Maybe they keep beating up the bad teams, and that's the only games they start to lose. But it, it probably will be Oakland when all said and done. They'll probably be the three seed. So, yeah. all right. Uh, really quickly on, on on Xavier, they did not play this weekend. Um, they do play. It's got a mailbag next at St. John's. Um, I, I just real quickly, we've already talked on touch on. You've always talked, touched on how tough of a matchup this is, and we touched on that in the last podcast. So we really don't need to go there. But you do have some some questions you want to get through the uh, through the Twitterverse, correct? Yeah, we got a few questions that you, we can get your guys' opinion on as well. Um, well, first, this, this isn't exactly Xavier related, but Villanova. Phil Booth is now out with a broken hand. The fourth player they've had with a broken hand, which it's like, you ever heard some milk? Like, <laughs> try it one time, Jay. Uh, when does this lack of depth start to affect this Villanova team? I mean, they barely escaped Marquette today. But that, that but that can happen too, right? Yeah. I mean, same for Xavier, right? Get, they get, and they, it, was a sim, it was a similar type of score that Xavier won yeah. by. Marquette scored 82. I was 84-82, I think, was the final. Yeah. But but that could be a sign that their depth maybe, is not maybe uh, Villanova defensively has been really really good so you know yeah Rousey and Howard get hot they can they can hang a lot of points on just about anybody but maybe that's a a, a small sign that there's a little because Phil Booth was kind of one of their critical defensive guys yeah and, well, and just such a knockdown shooter that it's like on on that lineup you don't think of him as like oh that's their score but it's like when that's one of your last Guys, you know what I mean. That's like where, yeah, the guy when, that no when, one's when, thinking well, about. Yeah. He's still shooting over forty percent from three. Yeah. When the so def- when the defensive rotation finally out rotates itself, he's the guy that finds himself with the ball wide open. And it's not like he's just a standstill shooter. He can take you off the bounce and get into the lane. I mean, he was a nice piece offensively for a team that has Absolutely. a lot of them. Yeah, I I just I guess to answer this question, does it have you guys changed your opinion right now, Villanova, in terms of what their overall upside and what their season will look like? No, because they still got their their dudes. The only thing I would tell you is, if you're Jay Wright, this is what you probably need to do. You you do you start to take some minutes off, guys, just to make sure. Come rotation seven. But hear me out. Uh, and and it may cost you a game or two. Maybe not cost you a one seed because other teams are going to probably lose. But maybe cost you a game or two just to get some minutes off some guys. I mean, I, I guess I don't that's think that's how Jay Wright make. operates, and he, he probably doesn't. I, and to be truthful, he doesn't. You're right. But maybe you have to think hard about that. Plus, developing just a little bit more depth. I mean, in the tournament, what happens when you got two of your guys sitting on the bench with two and three fouls in the first half of a game? That's why you go seven deep. <laughs> what happens with a third guy? No, it's, a, it's a good question. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, if, if it was me. I'm slightly more concerned, but I still. They're just I'm picking so my best team in the country. It's them. Yeah, they're just so. I mean, solid. he literally went seven deep today. Period. End of story. That was it. And they got what three points off the bench? Uh, three points off the bench in thirty-four minutes. Yeah. So it's going to be a grind, but they're really consistent, and what they I do don't works. See nothing wrong. Are people sleeping just a bit on Paul Scruggs and his potential? I would say yes. Um, I think this happens almost every year with freshman point guards. People get really down on them because they turn the ball over and they make mistakes. I mean, like people, and he's, and he's playing behind a, a dude. Yeah, I don't. You're much closer, so I guess I'm not quite like I, I, who was sleeping on him. Like, well, Xavier fans just aren't high on him at all because he has turned. I mean, I think they have over the last two games where he stepped up defensively and and played a little bit better. But he was going through those turnover issues, and I don't think they were seeing the value of his defense at the time. So people were really down on him. But it was like the same exact things they were saying about Quentin Gooden at the same time last year. Dead on, and it's like, well, then he gets forced into a role where it's like. He's not looking over his shoulder anymore because he knows he's not coming out. He has to play 40 minutes. All of a sudden, your confidence just completely changes when you're the guy and you know you're going to be on the court. Well, and the other part, yeah, because even if you're not looking over your shoulder, as a backup point guard, you're only playing in spurts anyway. I mean, right. you, and, you, and your you, job to, is to get the game back to the other point guard right. without losing right. the lead or whatever. It's take care of the ball and be conservative, be consistent. It's not go make plays, kid. Like, go ball out. That's not your role as a backup point guard. Well, I, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think there's 
and fans do this everywhere. There's an expectation that because a kid is a top 50 kid, that he's a finished product or that he's this highly skilled weapon that's ready to come in and be Trayvon Blewett as a freshman. Mm. That was never the case with Paul Scruggs. He was never this big, high-scoring, you know, 30-point-a-night type guy when he was coming up. He was always long and athletic and it was more about what he's going to be in his rating than what he already was like yeah and, and he's he he's like a a guy that just through his sheer effort and toughness and physical yeah. attributes he's productive yeah he's not a guy who wows you or was smooth or super skilled he's not the best ball handler he's not the best passer he's not, not a, a great good shooter. shooter yeah he's just a guy that is really good in tight spaces like if you're asking how will he get his points in the future one, I don't think he's ever going to be a go-to scorer, but I do think he's a guy that can get you 12 points a game probably later in his career. And how he'll get those points is, again, not making a player comparison here, but if you're thinking about a scoring package and what sort of his shots will look like, think about Dwayne Wade. It's lots of like tight in space, bumping into guys in the mid-range and kind of just never doing the same Create, thing twice. You yeah, know, it's creating like, space, pump faking, going under, some, yeah, yeah, some he of those things. He doesn't have like go-to moves or floaters or anything. It's just like whatever he can get off in the mid-range, he can bank in usually. He's six three with like a six eleven seven foot wingspan. Yep, like the kid's a freak. He's just a, a, and it is because he plays so hard. That's how he got to be a top fifty kid. It mm-hmm. is because of his effort. It was never because he was overly like wow. His skill package is incredible. So I think that if if there's a level of was is he underrated now? It's because they maybe expected something that he wasn't to begin with. Because you tell a fan base, we got a top 50 kid, they think we're getting a finished product. And that's just not... If you if you told me when he comes in and gives you 11, 12 minutes a game and, and gives you what he gives you, I'd say that's fine. Because you've got a guy in front of him that's going to get the majority of the playing time. And he's been changing them defensively. Yeah. For the spurts that he's in. For yeah. the spurts that he's in. He's been giving them a little bit different look. And he's been, he's been excelling at that, which everybody thought initially, Rick, right, that... His big impact as a freshman was going to be coming in and and making them a little bit better and a little bit different defensively. Yeah, and that that was the idea. And it like you can't just say, oh, okay, well his defense is pretty good, so that's going to make up for four turnovers in you know eighteen minutes of play or fourteen right. minutes of play or whatever. I get that. I'm not trying to say that, but I think a lot of people he's been fairly good defensively, maybe making a mistake here or two, but his physical attributes are there defensively, and they have been there. It's just hard to appreciate that when he's turning the ball over on offense, I think. So, yeah, I do think he's underappreciated, but I I think it'll be something that'll be forgotten about very quickly next year when he's probably in the starting lineup and playing a lot of minutes. He'll get through those mistakes, and he'll continue to mature. And they just you know, posted a video. But you're right. I mean, it was for Quentin Gooden last year. It was... Boy, hold your breath, man. This guy might turn the ball over some. We're not going to make the tournament. We're not going to make the tournament, right? (laughs) So now you're you're worried about a guy who's totally the backup guy. Yep. So so it's it's kind of par for the course I think with freshman yeah. guards. Yeah. Um and, and and like I think back to a guy like Samaje Kristen, if he would have been a backup for a veteran team when he came in and wasn't relied upon to be a go-to guy as a freshman, he would have had the same issues. Like he would have been playing too fast, would have turned the ball over, people would have been like, "Oh, this he kid's too skinny." He did it, but he was able to play through those right. mistakes and and realize like I'm still really confident and I'm we don't have another option, so I have to score. That changes you as a player. It just does. Um, kind of piggybacking off of that, someone asked about potentially expanding minutes for Scruggs and Marshall. Obviously, games will dictate, but rest for vets and more experience headed to the tournament and next season. The future looks bright. I think the thing with that is right now when they're playing How much well, do you expand? they get eighteen to twenty three minutes. Yeah, I I can't see them playing more than that. that I say that, that gives you a nice rotation. It gives them a nice chance. That's a, that's a that's a it gives that's Gooden a good and number. Makura and blew it a rest, a nice rest. Yeah. And no, I don't like twenty three minutes for both of those two guys. I think is you don't need to rest Trayvon yeah. Blue and JP McCure more than that. <laughs> Why are you putting them on the bench for 18 minutes a game? That's not smart coaching. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you're t- looking at two guys averaging 38.5 minutes a game, that's one thing, but they're not. I think Xavier's as well-rested as any team in the country. Yeah. I mean, there's not many teams that have nine guys that, that play consistent minutes. And not only that, but Xavier has nine guys that, on any given night, if you were to tell me that guy can get you 15 points, I'd say, yeah. Paul Scruggs is probably the last on that list. But Najee, if you were to tell me he can get you 15, it's like, yeah, he's done that. Okay. Quentin just the other night had 14. It's not really his role. But if a team isn't respecting him or he plays aggressively, he can go get you 14 or 15. So it's like you have nine guys that can legitimately score 
on this team. That's pretty rare, I think, for most teams in the country right now. Like to hear your guys' opinions on if the selection committee should value resume rankings or predictive rankings more. Talking about like Ken Palm number. Should they go on what you think a team is capable of and what their Ken Palm number suggests? Or should you go on what that resume says? How many wins? How many losses? How many good wins? How many bad losses? Etc. But I guess my question there is, aren't Ken Palm and RPI and those things they're in, they're no longer predictive at the end of the season? Well, Ken, Ken Palm is. Um, but RPI, RPI, the difference between RPI and Ken Palm is RPI strictly factors in wins and losses, basically. It's only the result. Ken Palm doesn't factor in the result at all. It's all strictly based on tempo-free statistics. So what your offensive efficiency numbers say you are. I guess I'm I'm just thinking that by like 35 games when they're in there, you kind of are what you are. I don't know how much it is predictive I don't anymore. Dis- I don't disagree with that, but the point is, like, there can be a luck factor involved, right? So you're off. Your yeah. your point margin might still be fine. Like, you look like you're a good team, but you've lost multiple close games down the stretch where maybe you just gave a game away or something. If you do that consistently, like Duke, for instance, Duke is going to have an elite offense by the end of the year. Who knows where their defense will be? But their metrics and Ken Palm will say they're a top twelve, top ten team. But if they have six or seven losses, that won't be a surprise. So where do you rank? Do you rank them as a one or two seed, or do you rank them as a four or five seed, where most teams would be with that resume? That's a, it's a tough. I I think there has to be a happy medium. I'm not sure how you get to that happy medium. I mean, you're, you 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 your resume should say something about you, whether you've lost five games by one point or not. You still lost those five games by one point. I'm sorry that you did, but I can't give you bonus points for that right I, I shouldn't give you bonus points for that but i can also look at the metrics and go all right the metrics tell me that team's team's better than that and and yeah there is a luck factor involved you know maybe out of those one point losses three of them dudes threw in half court shots for goodness sakes i i don't know the answer to that part so i, I do think there has to be a happy medium that you could you have to there has to be the resume but you can look at the other and go all right is it a difference in a, a seed line maybe yes is it a difference in two to three seed lines no Probably not, and probably shouldn't be. And this is why you can't do something like this with a computer. This is why there will always be subjectivity, yes, and, and, and there will be and, different and, opinions, and, 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 and that's I, what makes it great. And I don't have any problem with that. I really I don't. don't. I think the only part where subjectivity comes into play is, is when it just looks so blatantly off off balance, out of whack. But it's not like it's one person sitting in a room making that decision. Well, it is groupthink, right or wrong. Yeah. And my problem with groupthink is we don't know what it is. Like I've yeah, I still about this want more transparency. Times. I think we I, all I just, well, we get the transparency, but this year it's top fifty wins. Next year it's right. non-conference strength of schedule, road, strength of schedule. Whatever, yeah. Like, and then the year after, and that I get is the nature of ten people sitting in there, and you start winding through it. But I, I, there has to be a way to like manage that to where it's it's these are the the points that we're looking for and maybe there is and just you find like that one theme when you're in there that year this is the theme that happens that's the part i don't like is well you it's, saw it's throwing darts at a dartboard because if they say in 2017 that this is what we valued you can't schedule like that in 2018 yeah. because what they value changes in 2018 that's the part i don't like i i, I I get your point there. I think you get a little carried away with this because of UC's fate and what it's meant. I think for the most part, it's been clear. UC has gotten punished for their strength of schedule and for not having enough big wins. I think they've valued valued big wins over everything else for the last five to ten years. I I don't think that's changed. That's what you saw last year. It didn't just punish UC. It punished another team in their league. I mean, it's happened the last two years. Right, but my point is it tied into that. I mean, that's what it's tied into. I think each year... Can you argue a seed line for a team sometimes? Maybe, probably. But are we arguing a team that should have been a three as a six? Probably not. I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's egregiously off. And I think what we saw last year is whether you agree with where UC was seeded or not, and I did not. Um, the fact that they took both of them and said, We're punishing you both. We're not punishing one over the other, or we're not giving kudos to one over the other, we're punishing you both. I think showed some level of consistency. Whether you agree with it or not, it did show some level of consistency. Yeah, and I think UC was also hurt last year because Xavier had the injury issues and kind right. of limped to the finish, where if Xavier would have stayed up and been a top 15 RPI team... That would have helped some. It would have helped because you'd have had a But we're top not talking multiple seed lines here. We're talking maybe a line. A seed line. That maybe could have helped line. them a seed line. Yep. So I, I think the to just sort of wrap that up, to me it's way more about... You use the statistics 
the different predictive numbers, the resume, and the eye test, and you combine all those and yes, formulate your opinion absolutely. because all of them have their blind and spots. It, and it's still a subjective opinion. Yeah. Ken Palm has its blind spots. It doesn't take everything into account. RPI has nothing Multiple. but blind spots yes. to me. I, I don't. I think it's almost worthless, but it does at least give you credit for wins and losses, unlike yeah. Ken Palm. So I think that's somewhat valuable, I guess. And then you got Sagarin and everything, and the resumes. I I think you have to factor it all in and formulate your opinion as best you can, and, and that's what we're left with. There's going to be subjectivity in it. Yeah. Yep. There's a, there was a few other questions that were a little bit more in-depth. Xavier, I'll save that for Xavier podcast. Okay. We'll talk about those subjects. I, anytime people want to throw in questions, we love them. Yeah, and it, don't not just Xavier. I mean, everything. Yeah. We're, we're willing to answer that, all that stuff. I mean, that stuff. last question was a great question because yeah. it, it's – I don't think there's a right answer. I think it's a subjective answer is what it is. Have, so. you, have you tried the Taco Bell nacho fries? I have not. Someone that's, asked that's for another. He's he need we need we need a nacho I, fry I, review. I, I saw yeah. the I saw the I've seen the commercial. If I if I would have thought I would have ran out to Taco Bell down the street it's while right, you were doing right. your segment, I, know, I could man. have got some for us yeah. to try it out on air. But maybe we'll. I've had them. them. They're delicious. I love them. If you were wondering, well, if you if it passes your 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 little palate, it'll I pass don't mine. Lie. Yeah. If you, I have not had them yet. I haven't. I I'm I think my Taco Bell's bad. What do you mean? I don't think it's a good one. The one by you? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, that can be. There, there's a. There's Might a have dicey. to move again. There, there, there's one that I refuse to go to. I'm not going to incriminate. Is it the one by me? Um, no, okay. no, no. It's 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 closer to where we are across I, the river, I've, across, I've gone, a bri- across a bridge. I've uh, gone twice, and I I have not not felt so good. Uh, no, not that I've not felt so good. Just I I I don't I don't think I don't know that it's a good one. Yeah, ta- Taco Bell can be really. De- if you really, your your best bet with Taco Bell is to do this. Just don't go in. Go through the drive-through. Well, yeah, it'll yeah, feel better for you. Never but if going. you get your cold, crumbly uh, yeah. tortilla shells, like the ones that aren't steamed well, I had stuff, I had one that wasn't. I had, now at one thirty in the morning, burrito you- that wasn't steamed well. And it had just like the cheddar cheese that wasn't even melted, melted. Oh, so the man. cheese was cold. That's Come not... on, Taco Bell. That was, and then and then I got a cheesy gordita crunch. Those are my two go tos: five layer burrito, cheesy gordita crunch. I got a cheesy gordita crunch that it just didn't have the right like consistency to it, and it was kind of cold. That's brutal. And and, I, and now I'm and now I've I've got to question the existence of my Taco Bell. Yeah, you might have to move again. There's another one at the bottom of the hill. Be, so you're just gonna have to not be. I'm lazy. gonna have to go 12 minutes to Taco Bell, and that's. And you just got to roll the dice. That's a good one. Sometimes. You just, I, being in that crowded of an area, I'm you, thinking. Fear's pretty yeah, good. Fear's, think, the 18, fear's the 18 yeah. preps. Everywhere else out there, I had the, the fast food has been yes, it's, has been fantastic. I, I know exactly what I think talking. I got a bad Taco Bell. Yeah. So sure. I haven't done nacho fries yet. Um I'm gonna get to them, and I'll let you know. What is it? The is it the Mexican seasoning on the fries? That's what I'm intrigued with. So I didn't realize this when I saw nacho fries. I thought they were just cheese fries because they were calling nachos because you dip them in the cheese sauce. But it is the nacho Dorito dust, like from the Doritos Locos tacos, on the fry. And the fry is actually like a legit fry. It's a good fry. So if you're in a cheese sauce with your fries. One thing I do so like, it's like Doritos fries with cheese sauce? Yes. Here's the one thing you can appreciate about okay. Taco Bell is this. They're always trying. They're always okay. trying. It's always it's something. It's the best. It is. It's always they're, something. They're, they're the LeVar ball they are, man. of they're always, food. And if it fails, they don't care. Two more months from now, they got something else for I, you. I did I did have a, a good... Um, have you guys ever done Nuckin' Futs? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a Holy Cross joint. Have you done their, their chips and salsa? Except it's not chips and salsa. It's basically ballpark nachos. Nice. With the melted... Uh, jalapeno, like the the nacho cheese, and then the thick chunky salsa, and then they give you a cup of jalapenos and then fresh chips. We did that the other night. It was ballpark nachos. I was like, oh, yeah, we'll be back for this plenty. I'm a wings guy. I am too. I got wings. Yeah, we just got. Well, we would get this it in high school. We didn't have any money, so you know, it's like you get you get wings. wings and that's yeah, all you're getting. In we high we just got an, it was we got an appetizer of chips and dip because Kelly and Kelsey like chips and dip. So who doesn't? Not, but ballpark nachos. I'm like I'm a ballpark nachos sucker. The, the fact that we just talked about food for the last five minutes is the perfect time to bring this up. So there was a young lady that I met, and um, she, mm. nah, just just wait, this is, gets good. So she decides to do a little research on me. Starts googling, searching some things, finds my social media Omaha account. Steaks. Wants to know why I'm tweeting constantly about the skinny podcast, and thinks. One, maybe I don't have the body type to necessarily be judging others. <laughs> and two, should not be putting out image things like that. And I was being negative image or whatever, body image issues, something <laughs> or other. And I, was, I just lost it. Like, I was crying when I was reading this text message. Like, I don't know what to say to that. It was nice meeting you. Yes. <laughs> That's all I could say back. <laughs> it was nice if, meeting you. If you thought I was doing a health podcast. Yes. 
Was this like a tender deal or like? No, 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 no. Okay. It's sort of another situation, but it's it's all good. <laughs> okay, I just yeah. Like I didn't know she Some, swiped left and was like. Com. It worked. It worked out well. Match- <laughs> you were good to, to break to break clear of that one. It happened at the perfect time. Matchery harmony. <laughs> no. Okay. Just but, making sure. No. 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 All right, just making sure. All right, Ashley got, Madison. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> even, that, even better. Even better. All right, you guys got final takes or we just do one? Well, I, I would just. You got like, one? I would like to tell you that from now on, yes, I need to refer to Lavar Ball as head coach Lavar Ball because he is now the head coach of that team in Lithuania. He was the assistant coach. They scored 127 points. They made him the head coach. I mean, skinny. The man's making moves. You got that's great project upward mobility in your career right there. No question. Going from just being a dad in the stands to being the head coach in five games in Lithuania. In Lithuania, new country, new country. Bringing the big baller style, baby. New country, new Lavar. Wow. Wow. Speaking of stay in your lane. Yes. Are we seeing the end of Tom Izzo at Michigan State? Um, I'm going to say yes. I think the fact that he's fighting just to get through this year is yes. That he will fight to get through this year. Um, I think he will make it probably through this year. All this sounds like it's escalating very quickly. Um, but yeah, well, the, I, did I, you see post game today? I, I saw. I saw. I turned it on literally right as he was finishing the interview. So I did not. Outside the line showed up because oh. they won't. Michigan State will not give access to him. They would not give access to Hollis, the Correct. The, the former Correct. athletic director. So outside the line showed up at the press conference, and he was. He say, didn't. He didn't answer questions during the press conference. So then they did the thing where you know you go up, you grab your record, and you follow the coach out of the sure. room trying to ask right. another question. Right. They followed him into the locker room all the way back, and he's just telling them no. And, and let me tell you, anything. he is the most one of the most media friendly normally. Yeah. Yeah. Until he's being Coaches, investigated for until, until this. covering up sexual this assaults. This thing's massive. No question. I mean, I mean, it's bringing down a whole university athletic department times two. It's this, unbelievable what they covered up. This is huge and it's big and it's terrible and they probably all deserve to go. But I, I will say, I don't think there's any way Tom Izzo loses his job for something that started with a gymnastics investigation. If this isn't the day social media no, day and age but, where but, there's but, but, but that I, much outrage. But I, while I, that's I, fair, if I you're think, found covering up rape and gang rape and wherever it came from. You're not in a good spot. Now, it's magnified times a thousand now, obviously. I totally agree, but I, I just and I legitimately the, think Tom Izzo could get through that if this maybe, was yeah. 10 years ago, even. Yeah, but I, I think at this stage of it, if you are him, if you can get through this season, if this retire. Still, just, just retire with some level of, of dating just right off into the sunset. I mean, we've, he's saying a lot of the things we heard Rick Patino say. Right. And, and Rick Patino didn't have something as heavy as this. Hanging over his head. I mean, pun- we're, we're, seeing enough. The, we're seeing the end of coaching legends this year. No doubt. Well, and it's time, not to, to get on a high horse, but it's time universities figured out that trying to protect your image is, is not- going to ruin you. Correct. Stop. Correct. Yep. Correct. Stop. And to be honest, like some people have called this out, and I don't think it's like the time to argue. Like Michigan State people shouldn't be pointing out now, well, other schools are doing yeah, stuff nah, like this. Yeah. Like That's not the time to make that right. argument. But for the record, they are right. Yeah, like, this is going but, on at a lot and, and, and of schools. Like, just if you're gonna stop protecting the coach, you'll find somebody else. Yeah. No, just, not not you, the NASAR stuff. I'm not talking about no, all no, the no, gymnastics no, 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 stuff. No, 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 I'm talking no. about a sexual assault being covered up because Absolutely. it's because a, because it's going to look bad. Yeah, because it's gonna it's gonna hurt the reputation of the university. Well, guess what? It crumbled Penn State. The cover up is always worse. And Michigan State is always. now crumbling. But the problem is too many of them have been getting away with it for too long. Absolutely. And that's why they still think that's the game. Absolutely. And this and this goes back I mean, Mark Mark Emmert was presented thirty seven cases in two thousand and ten. And we're just now getting to it. Yeah. And they, like, and really none of, to to the credit of the people in, in in that broke the story. I mean, if if honestly, if journalists hadn't stayed on the initial story, the Nasser story, it never that never well, would have broken. Two, two places deserve a lot of credit. One, the Indy Star, yes, because they are the ones, and they're based. That's where the NCAA is based. They are the ones that dogged this situation relentlessly until the story finally broke. And then the outside the lines people, from what I heard, and they had to go to the Michigan Supreme Court. Yeah. Because Michigan State would not unredact the documents. So, I mean, kudos to them for doing the work that they've done. And stop. Stop covering it up. Stop. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's not going to make you look better. And and Michigan State is going to get hit with, this is Penn State and Baylor combined. Because it's child molestation 
from what was going on with Nasser, and now you're getting all the you know the, 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 the sexual assault, rapes. sexual assaults, and rapes, and covered up from the the football and basketball programs. Stop. Agreed. I agree. Just quit. Agreed. Good final shake. All right, boys, we got anything else? No, I, I felt like we had I hadn't hit on it. I felt good. like we had to talk. That, about that was well played. Well played. All right, boys, we will be back on a Thursday morning to record another one of these. Um, until then, for Chad Brendel, Bearcat Journal. You'll get beer. And I'll have beer at that point, too. Hey, will. by the way. Yes. Last chance. Sail through tomorrow. Monday. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. 995. Yep. You get Bearcat Journal or Musketeer Report. 995. We're both. We're both. You could do both. You could do $20 and get, and get nine months on each site. Yeah. It's a good time to do it. Yes. I mean, there's going to be some wild stuff going on in this the, after the season is over too, with all these coaching changes. Now, yeah. I mean, you got Louisville and Michigan State opening up, and you would be getting that month, those months for free, basically for free, correct? For, for free. free, free. You would just pay for the month of February, and then, and then you, you're free until October. A lot of people are already taking taking advantage of that. Appreciate all the good. new signups, all yes. the people that give us retweets, and really quickly, BearcatJournal.com. MusketeerReport.com. That's where you can find us. That's where you can find it. Nothing else. Hit us with a retweet. Help us out. Maybe someone else will see it. Tell one of your friends or parents or someone who, who enjoys college basketball and maybe needs a deeper understanding. We can help them out. I saw a few female names pop up in my Yeah. yeah. I, well, I'm very female friendly on my we side. Are we, too. Got, we got a lot of females signing up at Musketeer Report. I'm serious. I'm not joking about that at all. One of them wants what? to know what he's talking about it's with the skinny, skinny podcast. podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're signing up for weight loss. You know what? Tips. I was going to say, obviously, based on that Taco Bell segment we did, this ain't about a weight loss podcast. I can tell you that right now. No, sir. You're Not a chance. Me. All right. For Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and for Rick Boring of MusketeerReport.com, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us on this edition of the Skinny Podcast, the Kyle Basketball Edition, brought to you by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. <laughs>